Healthcare and senior care is fraught with problems and challenges, but we're also seeing some amazing new clinical treatments and resources. This show will help illuminate and uncover the good, bad, and the ugly in order to equip patients, families, and other healthcare providers. Welcome to Senior Care Confidential. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Senior Care Confidential. This is Brian with my co-host, Joe. Hi there. Hello. Uh, today, we're going to talk about some other options when older bodies have uh, multiple health issues going on. Um, what are some current treatments that we can look at? Um, if there's little to no improvement, um, what are some of the causes for confusion around these options? Um, so today's guests, Crystal and Melissa, um, are here to explain hospice and palliative care and what to look for in quality providers. So we are talking about that dreaded H word. Um, I've been a hospice nurse. I've worked in hospice for years, and it is such a wonderful program that Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance provides. So many people are so afraid of hospice, don't know the right questions, don't really know what care is provided, what care is provided in palliative care. So we've got great guests that are going to talk about really explain, and we're going to dive into hospice and palliative care and what a great benefit that is for certain people. Thank you all for being here. So Thank give me, give, it, yeah, give me a brief, uh, a brief bio on both of y'all. So Melissa, I know you're a nurse practitioner on the palliative care side. I'm a nurse practitioner. So I, I first started out in life as a higher edu- uh, an administrator in higher education. And I decided oh. that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I went to nursing school. Um, and then I've been a nurse for 10 years in the operating room where all of my patients were awake. So I decided maybe I'd try awake or all of my patients were asleep. Yeah. So I decided I would try having patients that are awake. Um, so I have been a palliative care nurse practitioner now for a year. Um, before that, I was in post-acute care. And I, um, I just really enjoy it. Yeah, great. I have been a nurse for about 30 years and in hospice and home health, post-acute, for about 20 years. Okay. And you guys both work for Ardent, right? Ardent Healthcare? Ardent Healthcare. Gotcha. Okay. You know, and so many people say it takes a special nurse to be a hospice nurse. And, and I know when I was in nursing school, every semester, my instructor would say, you'd make a really good hospice nurse. And I would think, ugh, just, but they're dying. I, do I really want to take care of dying people? Um, and I just found, I got out of nursing school, worked at Parkland, which is the Dallas Charity Hospital, uh, had a really horrible day one day and opened the Yellow Pages to hospice and found this wonderful company, Family Hospice, that was around years ago. They're no longer around. But um, just got involved and got started PRN and just became such an advocate of hospice. So we're so excited to have you guys here to talk about things. And uh, I know Crystal, we've worked together just over the years, you know, and what I love about Crystal is whenever I have a question, I've got, I'm a seasoned hospice nurse. I've been doing that for about 12 years, but Crystal knows the answers. And um, my own father-in-law um, was put on hospice, and there were some things I did not understand uh, what the hospice was doing in another town. And so Crystal helped me with the right questions. And so even those of us that are seasoned in healthcare, yeah. hospice <clears throat> is very individualized, and that's why it's not a one-size-fits-all, and you have to really understand what's going on with that patient. So wouldn't you all agree to that? 
100%. I'll tell you that um, being in hospice for um, 20 years now, of course, there's been so many things that have evolved in that type of health care. But one thing that stays true is that these patients um, and their families are going through one of the or the hardest times in their lives. So to be able to lead a team, which, you know, is is pretty difficult, especially in, in hospice, because emotions are so true um, for our staff as well as the patient. But we have had, um, there's been so much education as far as how to take care of a hospice patient because it's not being in that hospital setting where everything is mm -hmm. at your fingertip. A lot of it is emotional. It mm -hmm. is emotional. So you've got to have a team of people, that team approach. Um, it really brings happiness to the family, to the patient. Um, it gives great outcomes for everybody that is involved in that patient's You care. mentioned the team. What um, is the makeup of that team typically? So you have a physician leading the team, nurse practitioners mm -hmm. as well, um, managing the team. Then you have, of course, the almighty nurses um, that are case managing all of that patient's care through uh, medication, symptom management. We have chaplains, social workers, and our aides, the hospice aides. That pretty much wraps that team up. And the volunteers. And the, the volunteers yeah. is a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. um, we have a huge volunteer program at, at Ardent Hospice um, that goes to the, the, they work in the office as well as seeing patients. We have a. And I know with Ardent Healthcare, you all provide home health, visiting physicians, supportive care, um, you private duty. So what I love about Arden, and I, I love your owner and the team, you know, I've worked with you guys for a long time, love to recommend Arden because I know you guys are going to do a great job. Um, but what is it that you think, what is it that makes your team so special? Every hospice has their secret sauce. Every organization has their secret sauce. And I, I will tell you, Jimmy Stapleton is the owner of, of Ardent Healthcare. We are locally owned. Um, we are having our 16 sweet 16 uh, anniversary this year. Our people make, they make our organization. We have fantastic folks. How do you hire people that, this way? It's a strategy, that's for sure, because it through, through the pandemic and um, just where we, where we are um, in 2023, um, nursing shortages, staff shortages, um, it is there, and we are, we have grown so much. We have had to add on a lot of our staff, but that is that is who makes us shine. We have great people. We have people that aides that have been there for ten years, nurses that have been there for just as long, a marketer that has been there now for sixteen years. Wow. So there's a lot to go um, to be said to have a successful company, um, but that staff is the reason for our growth. Okay. One of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on because there's a big misconception around the word palliative care. And um, it feels like, I shouldn't say it feels like, it seems like, it, and it probably is the reality, that 
because hospice, as you said, is like the, it's like the bad H word. Um, and because it's so scary that we wanted to um, kind of lipstick this with a term called palliative care, which sounds less scary. And so a lot of hospices seem to have gotten into this palliative care like kick or whatever. They and, call their hospice palliative yeah, care. Yeah, right. Well, and then I've seen also home health calling it palliative care, yeah. which is really just, it's its its interesting. So I wanted to have you guys on because, Melissa, I know you're a palliative care um, nurse practitioner. And so help us kind of dispel some of the myths around the term palliative, what is really palliative care, what isn't it, um, so that when people hear these marketing buzzwords, um, they kind of can, can discern truth from fiction. Sure. So whenever I introduce palliative care to a patient, I always say the goal of palliative care is to keep you as healthy as possible in this in the location where you want to be. So as healthy and as happy as possible where you want to do it. Yeah. Um, so because a lot of patients don't want to go to assisted living, they don't want to go to independent living, they want to stay right where they're at. So trying to find a way, you know, whenever you're whenever you're critically ill or you have like major illnesses going on, multiples of them at once, um, being able to stay at home becomes kind of a big deal because you may not be able to if you don't have the right resources in place. Okay. Um, so coming, coming along with palliative care, palliative care, we take care of patients where they are. So if you're in assisted living, independent living, if you're um, in your home, we come to you and we find services that come to you. So instead of you having to go do lab work somewhere else, we have a lab that comes to you. X-rays, we have an X-ray company that can come to you. So it's trying to make you, um, to free up some of your time because as we age, a lot of time is spent either at the doctor's office or a funeral. So trying to make it to where you can spend more of your time doing what you enjoy doing instead okay. of waiting in a doctor's office, you can wait in your recliner at home and watch some show while you wait on us to come and see you. So it's like a house call physician practice, but how would you guys differ? How would you differentiate like a normal traditional house call practice from what you guys do? Cause you guys are different. So we how, are different. Yeah. So, so, so distinguish we, between those two. Sure. We have, um, we have the, a social worker that adds in with us. Okay. So a lot of the traditional house call groups don't have that, that okay. comes in. So whenever we come in, we do um, an environmental survey to see what's needed. So what you think you need, being ill may not be what you really need. So we come in and we help um, facilitate that. Um, and then our social workers help us get any equipment that's needed. They can help us with any advanced directives. If you decide that you don't want CPR at the end of your life, there's a form that they can help fill out with that. Okay. So we definitely have some extra support and they also help us find community resources. Gotcha. Well, and there's no, there, there are no other strings to be on ardent supportive care. So, when I say that there are no strings, what that means is you don't have to be on hospice, but you can. You don't have to have home health, but you can. You don't have to have any type of health care. Um, you don't have to be homebound. Um, you can receive um, chemotherapy, radiation, MRIs. You can have a CAT scan. What you about can dialysis? You can Absolutely. you can receive dialysis. Wow, it's just like a house. It's it's a like a doctor's office on wheels, um, that is led by Dr. Kramer, our medical director, and our host of nurse practitioners. So, are you all monitoring pain just as the hospice does? Is it a little different? So we do monitor pain. Um, some of our patients have already engaged with like a pain management service. So if you're already engaged with that service, we we continue to let pain management manage that. But we do, you know, a lot of palliative care programs are pain only. 
Mm -hmm. Um, We look at all sorts, Mm -hmm. you know, we look at the everything in conjunction with each other. um, And we don't just focus on pain. So we focus on, you know, the the psychosocial aspects, the spiritual aspects, um, and what's going on physiologically. So if somebody calls in and they don't know if their loved one is a candidate for palliative or hospice, does your intake make that determination when they call in and say, I don't know what's going on, you know, dad is declining, I know you have palliative and hospice services, how would how would you all take that intake call and how where would you go from there? We do have liaisons that will speak with them to try to narrow down their needs. And then through the interview process with our nurse practitioners, our all of our providers, um, and our liaisons will come up with a plan. And then it could mean that home health could be an option for them, um, private duty could be an option, or hospice. Um, and if sometimes it's just palliative care, supportive care, because we have a lot of patients, probably 40% of our patients don't have any of those support services, but we are a post-acute, we have a, I, I call it a tiny post-acute network. I mean, there's not a lot of patients that we can't care for. Yep, that's great. That sicker patient, though, we are expert experts at that. These uh, guys, our nurse practitioners, are experts at dealing with that sicker patient that has multiple diagnosis. Yeah, I was going to say when I first got exposed to y'all and the concept, like the real, real con, the, the real, real concept, real, of, real concept of palliative care through like a physician practice um, was, uh, you know, we'd have these patients who were the nurses reporting were reporting to me, our nurses were reporting to me that, hey, we're starting to see, you know, we're kind of getting towards the end here and we really believe that hospice is most appropriate. But the patient wasn't ready. The family members weren't ready. Yeah. And so it's not our job to push them into, into a situation where they want to, don't want to be. And so this was like a perfect bridge mm-hmm. for us because it gets them involved with somebody who's used to seeing somebody with much higher critical needs um, than maybe their primary care doctor or their ambulatory care practice doctor or whatever. And so you guys are actually in the homes or social work there. Um, you guys are really collaborative. Um, and so it was a really great bridge from home health to eventual when hospice was, was going to be pulled in, pulled in for that. Well, you look at, you know, across this nation with the baby boomers and, and the situation that we find ourselves in, in um, with our healthcare system, Melissa talks about we are experts with the gap patients because mm-hmm. although there are millions of people that are receiving um, home health and hospice services across this nation, there are so many, there's more patients that do not qualify for either one or they do not request to be on those types of services. Or they qualify and nobody ever mentioned it to them. Yeah, we see a lot of that too, right? 100%. On the proactive side of things, yes. like yeah. we already see there's things tipping out of their favor and nobody's mentioned, hey, there's actually right. people who can come out to your home and they can That's fix right. the environmental stuff. They can get a social right. workout. We can get a physician that, that comes out to see you. And they've never, they didn't even know that these things were options. Had no clue. And yeah. we're one of the only companies that provide a service such as the one that we have uh, built that has all four layers of so healthcare. Who, who pays for palliative care? 
Um, that so, is a great question, and this is a this is a big difference it between is. a lot of the hospices mm-hmm. and home health that say that they offer palliative care. It's not true palliative, and they don't. <laughs> They're billing either through their home health or their hospice right. through Part A, and yeah. this particular service is built through. Medicare Part, Medicare Part B, B. Part B. Like a physician practice. That is exactly right. That's really right. where they need to see the difference, yeah. right? Palliative yeah. care is really a physician practice type. If you're going to segment by reimbursement style, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. it's really more on the physician side of it. And, you know, palliative care is just kind of, it's the, if done appropriately through a physician type practice, where it's just kind of overseeing all these chronic mm-hmm. illnesses, you know, right. maybe towards the end of life, but it sounds like not even necessarily that far along, like you could, right. you could be essentially their primary care physician. Absolutely. I, is that Correct. right? Okay. Absolutely. That is the goal. Yeah. That is the goal. But there are other ways that we do take care of patients through transitional care. They may have, um, they may have cancer, some type of cancer, and they have an oncologist and, but they are having lots of symptoms. So mm-hmm. Melissa or our other NPs can go in and take care of that symptom management where they don't have to go in to the oncology physician's office, you know, weekly or or monthly, whatever the case may be, they generally see all of their patients at least once a month, if not more frequently. They can go every day if they had to. They can go once a week. Sometimes the patient, whatever's going on with them, it warrants that, especially if they don't have a service of home health and hospice. But even if they do, um, they are very flexible and they yeah. can definitely go I didn't more know you frequently. Guys that frequently. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's okay. wonderful. And so you know, I have a few for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right off and the bat. So, yeah. so many hospices, because now I work on the other end. So I, you know, I work with families and maybe they've already got a hospice in place. And they'll say, Well, my nurse can only come out once every two weeks. That's all she's allowed through Medicare. And I have heard that. In hospice? In hospice, uh, yes. I, I have two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. So that's where we are the squeaky wheels. Yeah. We know that, you know, and we're like, you know what? No, it's a Medicare benefit. They are getting paid a daily rate. A daily rate. Right. I've also had, I had a, a family, a patient called the on-call line for a hospice at 515 on a Friday. Uh, they needing needing meds. They, the patient was in pain. They said, I'm so sorry. We can't help you till Monday. Oh, my goodness. And so I got on the phone with them. Oh, well, I thought you're yeah. you're billing Medicare with day, only daily rate. And a part of that is being on call, somebody on call. And if you need medication or need a nurse visit after hours. So they did get a nurse out. But um, that's the thing. If you don't know the right questions to ask, you know, yeah. people that they just trust what somebody says, you know. And so, they think that that is the way that it is is supposed to be. Right. So let me ask you a question. Okay. So your mom, assuming she's still around, um, is going to need hospice care, or we think, right? And let's assume that palliative care is already out there. So we kind of checked that box. So when you're, when you're advising your mother or your father on, okay, it's, it's starting to look like it's time for hospice care. Um, first off, what are usually the indicators, clinical or otherwise, that it's time to start looking at maybe hospice is the, is the most appropriate setting for you? Well, weight loss, number one. I mean, okay. and whatever unintended, disease, pro- unintended <laughs> yeah. weight loss, and whatever issue that they're having. Um, I mean, you start seeing that decline, and whether it be their ADLs, I mean, something right. basic as that is or they're not many, able to yeah. care for themselves. How many times they call the EMTs to come pick them up? Okay, yeah, definitely. Okay. Like hospitalizations, urinary tract infections, and, and yeah. I think for the most part, people call in hospice too late. 
So I think yeah. when the decline, when you're seeing things, it's time for that conversation. Maybe start with the palliative, mm -hmm. but so many come on hospice too late and the families do not understand. And they, you know, I've heard so many times, oh, mama was put on morphine and it, you know, the hospice just killed her. And I've really heard that, yeah. or I can't give my mother morphine because she's going to get addicted to that. Mm -hmm. So it's just education. Yeah. And that's why, Melissa, I love the supportive care so that people can, when they're on the cusp or they're just afraid of the hospice word or mm -hmm. feel like I'm giving up on dad, you know, so many people, it's even myself with my own parents, you know, administering that medication at the end of life, it was hard for me. And I questioned myself and I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, so imagine somebody with no healthcare experience that doesn't understand hospice, that is trying to medicate a patient in that dying process. Mm. Um, you know, that's why it's so important to bring them on prior. As soon as you think, hmm, I wonder, have a conversation, you know, have a family conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, and in palliative care, it's much easier for me to bring up, like, what do you want at the end of your life? What do you want your legacy to be? Because you're feeling okay. Like you're right. not actively dying. Right. So it's, I have those conversations. Where do you want to be buried? What do you want? Like, what do you want at your funeral? Like those kinds of questions. Do I do it on my first visit? Typically no. Mm -hmm. yeah. But as you build a relationship sure. with people and it's mm -hmm. much easier to do that when you're feeling well than when you're in duress. Yes. And then it's just a lot of family situations and stuff that can go on. So um, the palliative piece and having those conversations early kind of helps people have some peace yeah. with okay. what's ahead. So keeping the same question. So let's, let's assume that we're mom or dad is progressing and we need to start looking for a hospice. What are like the top three or four questions or things that we should be looking out for in terms of like on the good side, like quality home, quality hospice providers um, should be doing X, Y, or Z. What, what are those things that we should be looking That's for? A, that is a super easy question. The first thing, go to Care Compare. On the Medicare website, go, go look and see what the quality scores, mm -hmm. what the patient's families are saying about the hospices that if you know a Benny, um, see what who has the highest scores. That's where I would start. Okay. Secondly, who owns that company? Has it been purchased, especially recently? But who who owns it? Is it a big national company or is it a Tell me why that matters. Uh, one one owner. Well, there's no red tape when there's one <laughs> one yeah. one owner. But you know, when you do business locally owned and operated, I'm going to tell you there's something to be said for there, it because you that. know our owner Jimmy lives in Flower Mound, which is where our headquarters is, and all of our other offices. Um, you know, all, they're just here in the Metroplex. And we're a 16-year-old company. And that's another important thing. If they've been in business for two years or when they were purchased, were, you know, was it something recent? Those are pretty important things that we hear. We have to transfer patients. Um, we're lucky to be able to have patients that transfer to our service and have excellent outcomes because they were not receiving the care that they needed in situations as you just described. Yes. So that brings me to my next question. So when you guys have those and they're transferring from somebody else to y'all, what's the feedback you guys are getting from the family members of the patient? Like what are the things that are specifically happening that hospice providers are not doing that they should be? And that's why they're moving to y'all. Well, um, 
number one, they're not present. So yeah. there's either been an on-call mm -hmm. issue um, or they've contacted their nurse if that was an issue. Their nurse is not coming timely. They are scared to death. And you made a good point, Joe, a moment ago. You've been a hospice nurse for years. I've been a hospice nurse for years. But when it's happening to your family member, you're in a, you know, you're with another hat. And I think we deal with this every single day. We hear the stories every single day. But for these families, this is their only story. This is the only story that they know. They are scared to death. They just need your presence. A lot of times they need you to just show up. But when they're calling and there's no one that will come, that is probably the biggest complaint that we hear. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're, they're staffing issues and that these companies, they will tell them, unfortunately, unfortunately, they'll tell them, I mean, it, it, it's a staffing issue. Well, don't take on the patient that's if you can't exactly care for them. exactly right. That's what I say. If you have a staffing issue, then that's on you. It's not the patient's fault. No, they should and, never, and don't never take on that. that. Yeah. And you've got to be prepared. If you're going to take, if you're going to expand your service area, um, you have to be prepared from the business perspective, um, to be able to care for those patients. You have to be ready to take call in those other areas. And um, you have to be ready to take call right here in the Metroplex. I mean, that's a... That's that's another issue in itself. I mean, we um, it's funny to hear a nurse. Well, I had to sit in traffic for two hours. Well, it happens in the mm -hmm. Metroplex. If you're trying to get to a patient that is in a has a serious need at five o'clock in the Metroplex, that you know we we are happy that we have been blessed and we have grown the way we do because we have the staff to do it because we have a lot of patients. So our um, our staff is all over this Metroplex. So th that leads to another question. So I know, say someone's in crisis, it is five o'clock traffic, the nurse has to, will probably take her two hours, it's storming, and the family panics and calls 911. How does that affect their hospice care and hospice benefit? Well, if we know about it at the moment, we're gonna make adjustments for someone to be on the way, contact whoever it is that's been sent out there. But let's say that doesn't happen. So if the family goes to the emergency room, we have done a great job educating them in the first place, but sometimes that does happen. Mm -hmm. But once they get to the emergency room, a lot of times um, they'll work with us and we have a pretty good relationship with most of the hospitals, most of them anyway, but they'll work with us um, to try to get that patient home because it's generally not the hospitals. Um, they don't necessarily want to admit a patient in crisis as well. But they'll address the issue and then try to get them go sent back home. on hospice. But sometimes that does not happen and they get admitted. And um, at that point, the family, the patient will need to decide whether or not to forego their hospice benefit while they're receiving those aggressive services. And then when they can decide where they go from here, a lot of times it happens, they get scared and they are they make that split decision, but we can do, there are other things that we can do. We can initiate crisis care, continuous care, have a nurse at the bedside 
to get past whatever it is that they're having struggles with. Okay. Last question for y'all. If a family chooses to engage with hospice or palliative or either one of those, is is that final or is there, if you, if I start to improve, can I then discharge and come off of it? Absolutely. That would be a fantastic yeah. thing. I mean, th- there are patients that discharge off of hospice. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as ardent supportive care, it's like having a life, lifetime of a physician. Um, th- they certainly can uh, lead that service. But I think that less people leave that service than hospice. hospice. But at times, you can take yourself off of hospice anytime, any day, any way. Okay, great, great. Mm -hmm. It's your your right. That's right. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you all so much for joining us. What is the best? Do you have something else? Well, I just actually, yes, we do have one more thing. We're going to talk about um, because there are just in Dallas, there are, am I right, 300 hospices? There's over 200. Okay. There are over 200 hospices. How many home healths in Dallas, Texas? over 300. Uh, It's a little under 900 now. It used to be, oh no, in Dallas itself. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. I know. So there are, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and I just know too much. We all know too much because we're in healthcare. Um, but we had, I had a situation with my dad. He was in a residential care home. He did not qualify for hospice. We tried, and I knew he would benefit from hospice. Um, I even had Dr. Peralta go out, who everybody knows Dr. Mm-hmm. Peralta in um, palliative and hospice. Mm-hmm. And Joe, I'm so sorry, but your dad's not appropriate. Well, about a month later, I get a call from a social worker. It's on a Saturday, and she said, hi, I'm from... XYZ Hospice, I'm the social worker, and I just wanted to check to see. I saw your dad today, and I said, really? I said, so how he is on hospice? Tell me the name again. And she gave me the name, and I said, well, let me just tell you, I'm his daughter. I'm a hospice nurse. Um, You know, I'm a registered nurse, and I'm his his medical power of attorney, and this is the first I've heard of him being on hospice. She goes, Mm oh. Oh my gosh. She said, I'm so sorry. I said, how many days has he been on? He had been on for 60 days, this hospice. And it was since he moved into this residential care home. It was, um, you know, somebody paid money to get his Medicare number. Wow. And um, anyway, we we did the steps. We called the state. I reported to the OI, the Office of the Inspector General. Um, and it wasn't I found this hospice I saw on the front page of the paper. It's been about a year ago. This hospice was shut down. Not Novus, but it was another hospice. <laughs> but this hospice was shut down. And so I cannot believe it took that long. It was obvious fraud was going on. There's no way to slice it or say it any differently. Um, we've talked just briefly. There was a hospice here in Dallas. Novus. Mm-hmm. Talk about Novus. And, you know. Well, <clears throat> You know, the one thing I will say when we were talking about how many hospices are here, we talk about a patient having a choice or a a family member having a choice. It almost takes the choice away from them when they have over 200 to choose from. That's why it's so important to do your due diligence Mm -hmm. of, um, but I, I, 
I have heard of that company. Um, of course, I live in, you know, Denton County, um, <laughs> which is where they were. And, um, you know, I had, um, I never had any direct issues with them, but I had heard uh, rumors. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate because when things like this happen, I've even had friends comment that, of course, you know, I sent that to, to, to just educate. And it's amazing how after something like that happens, it gives hospice such a bad name when we already yeah. have struggles and there challenges to outlier. help yeah. patients. Yeah. And they're so afraid. Um, but listening to some of the, or reading some of the testimony that was given, I was quite shocked of the medication regimen and things like this that some of the nurses were talking about. I just cannot imagine. I don't practice on that level. No one at our, that I know of, the, of our company that, uh, that, practices that way but there is fraud all around us you know texas is one of those states and mm -hmm. home health and hospice mm -hmm. um we are always targeted um and it's hard to get the or to educate an, a family member on you having um great quality because every hospice says that but again i would go to care compare start you there need some sort of a third party validation whether it's whether yeah. it's an advocate like a like joe in the marketplace or even sometimes your assisted living communities have good relationships and they right. they've got some quality providers that are there but somebody needs to kind of validate because any marketer can tell you oh yes we care about our patients we've got yeah and, staff and, and, and yeah you know. they have a relationship with the marketer instead of the the team that will That's actually right. be delivering the care yeah but, you know, we all have liaisons. I mean, that helps to get the word out about each other's company. And there's a lot of great hospice companies there in this are. metroplex. And yeah. it, it's those bad seeds, those few bad seeds that make it harder it for the ones that are doing everybody. the right thing. I mean, there's fantastic staff, nurses, aides, social workers, chaplains, every, you know, that whole team of people that are, they, they are doing a great well, job Well, and I think there. to the listeners, just if you have a question or does something doesn't seem right, ask. And if you don't feel the answer is the answer you want, call your doctor. Absolutely. You know, um, I had a patient that this doctor insisted on a particular hospice. I, I, did not agree, but the doc, it was the doctor's decision and the service was horrible. And I wanted so badly to say, hmm, I told you. Told you so. <laughs> well, sir. everyone has a choice. Yeah. It's yes, so important. Do. And bless their hearts. They sometimes they just do not feel confident to say, look, I feel like something's going wrong. It's or very something's difficult. Missing. I, yeah. I don't feel a connection. And and but they, they can. They it can. is their right to 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 change companies. Um, Medicare allows them to transfer one time during the course of care um, in a certain period. I mean, they can they can change hospices in a day. Yeah, they can yeah. call us. We can come within that day. We yeah. will be there. So so it's okay to ask questions and and remember these are guests. We're all guests in people's homes, and so. We need to, you know, the families, if they're not comfortable, just like I know, Crystal, Brian, you've had a, maybe you have a staff member that may not connect. I had it at acapella that doesn't connect with a patient. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong either side, but they are guests in your home. So, you know, if you're not happy with a nurse, you're not happy with a social worker, you know, you can change. Sure. You, can, you can change that. So we can change that staff. So 
Right. You know, another uh, thought too. Did you want to mention the um Yes, events? I do. So Ardent Healthcare is a big sponsor. We're so excited. So in a month, it's a month from today, uh, April 28th, we're doing the Love Boat. It is a CEU event for physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, social workers, CMEs, oh, CEUs. And it's going to be, day, be a day at Presbyterian Village North. We are talking about the taboo topics, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So things that are going on with today's seniors. Um, you know, the, the whole cliche, turn off Lawrence Welk. You know, we want the Rolling Stones. We don't want to watch Game Show Network from 1972 anymore. We want something current. We want activities that are current. We want to have fun. We don't want watered down wine. We want to... You know, or a Tom Collins. Yeah, we want a. I don't know what the. I don't drink that much, so I don't know what the. Pinot Pino Grigio. We want That's a, so Angelina's, hardcore. Angelina's. really going to do it. I know. Angelina's rose, you know, or a margarita on the rocks. But you right. know what I'm saying. Yeah. So we would love tickets are $25. They, um, the proceeds benefit Pajamas for Seniors, which you all are involved with Pajamas for Seniors, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, so we are blessing needy seniors in nursing homes for Mother's Day with wonderful new nightgowns. So awesome. all the proceeds awesome. go to new nightgowns, nightgowns for needy seniors. So That's I awesome. hope everybody is open to the public, even though it is continuing ed, but it's education for everyone. And we'd love for y'all to yeah. attend. That's great. So last question for y'all. What's the best way to get in touch with y'all? Well, I'm Crystal Alvarado, and I'm the Chief Clinical Officer for Ardent Healthcare. So the best way to get in touch with me is to call me or text me or email me. Do you have those What's numbers? your phone number? What are your digits? That is my phone number. So okay. you're welcome to give me a call. What is our... So for um, Ardent Supportive Care, you can call 469-348-0670, okay. and we'll be able to answer any questions that you have. Right. Thank you. Great. Yeah, yeah thank we'd you love so to have this information. I will say, I know, Crystal, when I call you, you answer the phone right away. Absolutely. So, you know, we're all here to serve. So thank we you so much. We are here to serve. Thank you, guys, thank for you. Great. inviting yeah, us today. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks great. so much.